0: My youngest at 10's asked me what am I doing about climate change given my position and I want to have an answer.
1: I would love to find a way for us to be able to continue to travel and mix and mingle and learn um, without worrying about the carbon emissions, without worrying that it's destroying the world.
0: Very much behind it, uh, Carbon Zero 2030. Everybody felt something. You could see it.
1: And you could just feel people's brains struggling to comprehend what that might mean.
0: Such a great initiative driven from the grassroots of this community and the in the uh, tourism industry as well. So I just can't wait to get into it.
2: Hello, and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, surfacing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording from the coastal village of Dajingiz, British Columbia, which is in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. On this show, we look at the role of travel, and we highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the changemakers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities and often from the bottom up. We are actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities, and ecosystems, so be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us.
3: Hello, I'm Rodney Payne, CEO at Destination Think. I'm recording from Revelstoke, British Columbia, a city on the territory of four First Nations, the Sinaics, the Sequepmec, the Silks, and the Tunaha. And it's great to be here with you today, Dave.
2: Yes, it's good to be back. Uh, Last episode, we heard from Anne Lockhart about how a unique collaboration in the Queenstown Lakes District of Aotearoa, New Zealand, has led to a commitment by the tourism industry to decarbonize by 2030. That collaboration includes Queenstown Lakes District Council, which is the local government, and today we'll hear from two policymakers, Michelle Morse, the General Manager of Strategy and Policy, and Glenn Lures, the Mayor of Queenstown Lakes and first, we're going to jump into Rodney's conversation with Mayor Glenn Lewis.
0: I'm uh, Glenn Lewis, I'm uh, Queenstown Lakes District Mayor.
3: How long have you been the mayor?
0: Oh, I've been the mayor for the last four months. I was a councillor for the last three years before that.
3: And what are some of the priorities that you campaigned on that you brought to office?
0: So I was the only uh, candidate for the muralty that campaigned on climate change. It uh, resonates very well within me and it's one of the the issues I was very passionate about.
3: Are you worried about climate
0: change? Ah, yes. Um, To see the changes happening in my lifetime uh, and seeing what could happen in the future, it does concern me a little bit. As well as being a parent, I've had Conversations with both my children and my youngest at 10s asked me, what am I doing about climate change, given my position? And I want to have an answer.
3: Are you aware of the very ambitious Carbon Zero 2030 commitment that's just come out of the tourism industry in the last few
0: weeks? Yes, very much so. Very much behind it. Uh, Carbon Zero 2030, uh, traveling to a thriving future. I think it's a great goal. I know it's going to be tough and it's audacious, but 100% behind it.
3: Do you think that there's potential for
0: this to go beyond just tourism? Oh yes, look, the opportunities are endless. I can see us going from tourism, getting into green tech, pushing into technology, and then agriculture. It's this is this is just the first step, and a really really big, big opportunity for New Zealand.
3: And. Thinking about um, the, the monumentous challenge to chart a roadmap to decarbonise Queenstown Lakes as tourism industry and perhaps beyond, what advice do you have for us as we, uh, as we pl- plot that course?
0: My advice is don't be afraid of failure. Success is built on failure. You'll learn so much from the mistakes and the missteps we'll take, and those successes will be even greater.
3: This is a very ambitious plan, in, in your opinion, or in your perspective, what is, has what is that ambition done?
0: That ambition I think, it's focused the minds amongst the business leaders, the political leaders here and it's put that stake in the ground where we, we won't look back, we've got to drive to the future.
3: And why do you think this district is so perfect to lead this?
0: One, we're, we're an innovative and, in, and driven by ingenuity, it's just within, within our blood. At heart we're an alpine village so connected as a community and so conscious about our environment it's just the perfect place for it
1: are you
3: excited about the commitment to get to carbon zero in 2020
0: oh very much so it's actually i am so enthused about the business community jumping on board and i know we've got the resident community as well and if we show that commitment that enthusiasm i know if you're a visitor here you'll feel that as well and you'll want to be a part of it This is going to be so amazing, not just for Queenstown and the the Lakes District around here, but for New Zealand and internationally. We can be world leaders. And that is what drives and makes you so enthusiastic about what we're trying to achieve here. Such a great initiative driven from the grassroots of this community and the the, uh, tourism industry as well. So I just can't wait to get into it. In 2030, when we've achieved this vision, we're going to be a bustling zero carbon hub. But at the core, we're still this little local alpine village invested in our community and invested in the environment.
2: And we're back. That was Mayor Glenn Lures of Queenstown Lakes District Council. And he's quite excited about the Carbon Zero by 2030 project as well as a destination management plan attached to it. He was also talking a little bit about why Queenstown Lakes is a great place to begin a rapid decarbonization project right now. And Rodney, based on your experience in Queenstown Lakes and working with tourism destinations across your entire career, what is it about Queenstown Lakes that's so special? I'm
3: still really trying to put my finger on that so that I can articulate it. But there seems to be a level of understanding about human Interaction with our environment and the impact that we've had with a significant enough proportion of the population understanding that we're not environmentally in a very good place that has led to ambition and willingness to elect a local council uh, that understands the environment and climate. And I think there's a variety of ingredients that have come to be in the district, uh, that have led to this moment. And to an extent, when I think about Queenstown Lakes or when I get the chance to, to talk to people there, uh, and when I've visited in the past, it almost feels like I'm looking into the future.
2: Yeah, and it and it seems like in most places though there there are those individuals and in communities who are most passionate about solving the climate crisis or who are most invested in the solutions or or maybe who are just looking to the future with their eyes wide open. But are you saying that in Queenstown Lakes residents seem more engaged than other places and what does that look like? Yeah. I've had a a chance to talk to I think
3: hundreds of people in this destination and both through a planning process that we went through, uh, and then more recently, there's there's definitely a wide group of people who not only are concerned, but they're not waiting for a corporate saviour or you know government to come and and solve all of our problems, but they're they're taking actions into their own hands, whether that be through their business uh, or what they do with their personal time or with their their community, and that that really is unique in the places that I've experienced.
2: Yeah. And we're going to hear from Michelle in a moment who talks about the hyper-engaged community behind the carbon zero by 2030 goal. Um, Before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about your visit? So um, you you were able to speak with, I think, dozens of of people during your trip. Can you tell us about how long you were there and, and what you did?
3: Yeah. So like a lot of people, I think I'm, uh, becoming very conscious about uh, business travel and, and the footprint associated with that. So I, I travel a lot less. And when I do travel, especially uh, to the very bottom of the world in New Zealand, uh, I really like to make it count. So I, I managed to be able to go for five weeks. And in that time, I think I probably spoke to almost 50 people and uh, had a chance to interview a lot of them uh, and hear about their values and what they're passionate about and, and the work that they're doing to uh, you know, leave, a, leave an impact and, and influence others and make the community stronger and make, make their local environment stronger along the way.
2: Well, we'll hear from one of those people that you had a conversation with now. So here is Michelle Morse, General Manager, Strategy and Policy of Queenstown Lakes District Council, and your conversation with her.
3: Let's talk about ambition. So this almost was a destination management plan like a lot of others. What happened?
1: I actually think COVID happened. Like a lot of destination management plans are about product development um, and experience development and increasing visitor flows. Like for for most places in New Zealand, they just want some more people and some more interesting products, but with us, you know, immediately in Queenstown, the conversation switched to how do we build back better? Um, and I think that was the point at which the the sector itself, wasn't just those outside of it, the sector itself started to really be a bit introspective. You know, we, we've had some operators who um, have managed to ride through COVID quite, um, I wouldn't say comfortably, but have adjusted and pivoted in a way that has meant they've been able to, retain some productivity and profit that significantly reduce their own stress and the impact on their well-being. And back in 2019, people were moving at a hell of a pace. And I think it actually, as in all walks of life, COVID has caused people to reprioritise and think about what's important to them. Um, and I think that that fundamentally changed the way that we approach destination management plan, because we were thinking about the workforce, we were thinking about the business owners. Um, we've explicitly not thought about product development and increasing visitor numbers, we've explicitly thought about the environment, decarbonisation and capacity. And I think the capacity piece, that wasn't there in the early days of the destination management plan. That that only came into being in probably the final six months of its development as the prospect of a return to pre-2019 numbers came into play. And there was just a general sense of community nervousness around that. Because people wanted it economically because they knew that their friends who lived next door whose business had really suffered, they really needed those visitors back. But at the same time, yeah, that there was a sense of being overrun in certain places at certain points in time. So I, I think it, it just took us in a different place.
3: So we got to version three of the document and we got a lot of feedback between version two and version three that caused us to really do a wholesale sort of change and tighten it up as well. And then right at the end, uh, we dropped in a curveball. What did you think when we first suggested putting Project Nine first, decarbonisation, and related the level of ambition that was in there?
1: Oh, it was bloody brilliant. That is one of my all-time favourite meetings, where we sat there as a group, and you could just feel people's brains struggling to comprehend what that might mean um you know none of us are are climate professionals so just the scientific concepts around well is is that even reasonable is it achievable is it crazy is it greenwash you know can can we do that what's it going to mean um and in i think we had like a two-hour meeting to discuss it before we were going to meet with the councillors to reveal it um i don't know what you were expecting but you could see the Penny drop with people around the table at different points. Um, and you know, some people have some incredible skin in the game in this space. Their entire intergenerational family value and uh, wealth has been built on the back of tourism. This is a huge thing to put on the table, and everyone kind of got there. And I think the timing was really right for it. We wanted to be bolder, we wanted to understand how we could actually. Um, a game changer in the mix and I actually think that Keystone project was a thing that made everyone energ- feel energized by the fact that that could be a massive change. That could actually, that wouldn't be an incremental piece. That's a massive leap forward.
3: It's funny because the the perspective on my side of the table was interesting. I remember about a week before I was coming down here, the draft was still solidifying and we were just presenting the key concepts to the community. and covid enabled me to get closer to the work we were doing whereas usually i was floating pretty high in the ceo role the partners got really close to specific projects more recently and um there was someone on my team david who really latched onto this one and said we really should do this and we all supported him and said okay you know if you want to do it let's do it and I remember for some reason, I don't know what caused me to do this, but I went and read all the community feedback. (laughs) And I don't know why I was compelled to do it. It was just sort of a subconscious thing. And I found myself in a spreadsheet, like reading through all the feedback. And then I went and read the plan that the team had come up with with you. And I, I, I had a meeting with our team that was working on the plan. I said, what if we push them really hard? What have we got to lose if we throw something massive in? I've never seen a community pushing or engaged in this way, why don't we throw it out there, right? This is what the world needs. Why don't we try it? And worst case scenario, they think we're crazy. They shoot it down, but maybe they'll finally approve the plan after two years, and this will be a nice distraction
0: <laughs> for conversation. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I, re- Paul Carbon, came down with me, and I remember my last words as we got off the airport, because we'd just been to see the Cook Islands, and we'd just wrapped a piece of work with them, my words to Paul were, the hard work's done now. This is gonna be easy. We're just socializing a plan. <laughs> There's no way they're gonna entertain this level of ambition. <laughs> What's it done?
1: Oh, I think it's been the shot of adren- adrenaline that people needed. Um, we've been talking about things in this space for a long time. You know, we, we did the climate and biodiversity plan in 2021 and I think we aimed for a 40% reduction in emissions by 2030 and no one battered an eyelid. There are so many of these targets flying around that don't feel specific enough, don't feel ambitious enough, um, don't feel relatable enough. But by putting that target in place for a specific system in the district, for that tourism system, and I think it spoke to the psychology of the tourism industry and of the people of this district. Like, you don't live here for an easy life. You know, it's a very wobbly, very extreme weathered kind of part of the world. You live here because you love it and you are connected to the place. Um, I think, though, that the people that live here, they love a challenge. Uh, They love some excitement. They're skiers and mountain bikers and outdoor enthusiasts. And the fact that it's, it's a gauntlet, you're throwing down the gauntlet saying, we don't think this is achievable right now. We don't know how this will be achieved, but are you up for it? Are you going to run hard at this with us? And I I think it it just clicked in the psychology of this district. People loved it. They went for it. They were energised and excited by it. Um, And it was actually, for me, um, I I was very in for that goal all the way through. But the, I don't know, two months after we talked about it and started socialising it for me were very stressful because I was the interface back with our climate reference group and this was really interesting where we saw the tension between climate science and climate leadership um, and it, I, it took me some time to really start to reconcile how these played together because this group had given us such phenomenal guidance and continues to do so and is extremely diligent and accurate and precise in what it offers um, that to hear some not, um, not disagreement but some misgivings about putting in place a target where there wasn't a clear runway at it at that point in time. Um, That was really challenging for me as the public servant in the middle of the process. Um, It was actually only when I spoke to um, uh, Brad Jackson, um, who's an academic working in the leadership space, and he's turning his attention at the moment to climate leadership and he just encapsulated it for me that there will always be an inherent tension between science and leadership and that actually you, you need to make a call at some point as to you know where the energy is going to sit and the action is going to sit and what's going to drive it because you need to move out of the science and into the community um, and, and that gave me the confidence to feel that look we, we can do this and I, I think our climate reference group Um, is broadly supportive of the direction now it's really excited to be involved in helping project nine shape up how that's achieved in a really science-based way Um, so i think we got to the right space but that that was definitely a bit of a dance that had to be done there and work through some complicated topics
3: it is a fascinating thing to think about the tension between climate leadership and climate science and it's Part of the reason that I'm like so captivated by what's happened here is we've been trying for 30 years yeah. to change in a rational way, right? And we would have done that if it was having an impact. But what we've seen here is that this massive ambition has captivated people's imaginations. Mm. And when we socialised it, everybody felt something. You could see it, right? We got through all the boring stuff in the plan and then we put up carbon zero by 2030 and everyone in the room paid attention, mm. Some people felt really uncomfortable. Some people felt disbelief and scepticism. And some people, you know, felt like this strange, anxious optimism. Mm-hmm. But everybody felt something, yeah. right? And that's the difference between nearly every other plan you see coming out of government and the, the quasi-public sector and what's happened down here. Because that level of ambition usually comes from the private sector when people have skin in the game and massive incentives, and you know that risk is rewarded whereas risk isn't rewarded in the public sector no no. and you have been incredibly brave as a group to do this that bravery is exactly what the world needs right it's there's something there's something in that and we like my team thought i was crazy even suggesting putting this in front of you guys and I remember we had sort of a a two-pronged debate. One was around, you know, a client relationship. And if you put something big there, it's inevitably going to get watered down and probably just ignored anyway, right? So let's start really aggressive and maybe we land at net zero by 2040, which would be better (laughs) than carbon neutral by 2050. So let's start here and have a negotiation. But I, I actually sort of thought to myself, like, what really needs to be done? And this is what needs to be done. The whole world needs to mobilise in the same way that you're about to. But we talked about different versions and variations. Okay, what if it was carbon neutral by 2030? What if it was net zero by 2030? What if it was net zero by 2035? And when we worked through each of them and tried to game out what would happen, none of it, none of it led to the type of mobilisation and innovation and focus that this needs and none of those capture imagination Mm. when we tested it off people what if we go to net zero by 2035 it's like that seems feasible we can you know scale up reforestation we can look for affordable carbon credits and the way you go about solving the problem fundamentally changes Mm. and we're not talking about uh whether to buy pine trees locally or restore ecosystems overseas we're talking about catalyzing a hydrogen distribution network and putting in a new energy transmission line to enable the airport to receive electric planes and we're talking about autonomous electric mobility and it's a totally different conversation (laughs) than the one that you would catalyze if you just made a word change.
1: I think the. Phenomenal thing about this district is, I mean, we often it's a bit hackneyed but we often talk about our greatest resource really being the people, um, and you know the people that you're talking about there. We've got some some of you know global level innovation um, people that live here, love this place, who wanna who wanna contribute and drive some change. Um, but that's layered onto uh, an environment where the community itself is hyper engaged on virtually every topic. I mean, compared to our local government counterparts, the submissions we'll receive on our Annual plan for how we're going to spend money on pools and parks and pipes um, gets a massive number of submissions. People engage with our processes, they care, they really, really care. Um, and our community groups have managed to build that as well. So they've created this really rich soil that effectively we're planting seeds into, and it's growing like crazy right now. Um, so we just need to keep nurturing.
3: So, what do you hope that this? journey that we're about to start, or starting, does for innovation, diversification, resilience?
1: Ah, uh, diversification, I see diversification and destination management as two halves of the same coin. You know, um, effectively, diversification is the insurance policy, but if things go wrong in tourism, we have other options. We saw that during COVID, you know, we, we desperately needed to point our workforce in a new direction. and. Um, Quite a few of them went towards conservation, which is great, you know, continuing to build on our values as a district. Um, I think it offers some real opportunities, potentially in that environmental and clean tech space for um, diversification within the district. Um, you know, when it comes to diversification, you're always trying to springboard off your natural advantages and your existing industries. So yeah, if we can build those adjacencies and amplify them, you know, um, I think there's huge opportunity there. Um, from a resilience perspective, I mean, power resilience is, is just front of mind in everything I'm doing at the moment. You know, we have affordability challenges, resilience challenges, and capacity challenges when it comes to our electricity supply here. We're a strange spur line off of the national grid. Um, we're not very resilient on a good day, on a bad day. If the Alpine fault goes, we're going to be in real trouble. So the more that we can focus on distributed solutions, and increased capacity that drives alternative energy sources, um, the better. Whether that's other lines coming into the district or whether that is actually um, solar arrays here within the district that amplify the um, capacity of the existing network, fantastic. But I think there's a diversification opportunity there for new industry as well as making the community safer and stronger.
3: I have a hypothesis that's becoming pretty solidified in my mind. (laughs) That this kind of aggressive climate action and resilience building is going to be the number one USP for economic development going forward. And my rationale is, if you know, if I have to leave a place due to a climate event that makes you know my community um, become you know effectively abandoned, where are you going to move to? And if I'm starting a new business or moving or relocating my business, what's, what am I going to be looking for, right? Like what sort of risk assessment am I going to be doing? And when you look at some of the top talent in the world as well, you, I can already see it happening here and you may not be exposed to it as much, but I've had people in my network from all over the world write to me and say, what's going on over there and how do I get involved? <laughs> mm. And that's like, that's massive from a USP perspective, right? and you said something when you were presenting to council yesterday that was just a fantastic articulation of a a cloud of thoughts that have been swirling around in my mind since we started talking about carbon zero 2030 and you were talking about using our dominant industry as a force for change can you talk about that
1: yeah i mean really they are our biggest lever to drive change um, across our businesses and across our households Um, As I said, you know, tourism is in virtually every home in the district in some way, shape or form. So if you don't use that huge lever, if you can actually um, aggregate what is quite a disaggregated sector and use that to drive some positive change, then fantastic. Because I think it's part of the narrative here has become quite entrenched that tourism is always a challenge and it's a negative impact on the district. And we need to fix the fact that it's a negative impact rather than focusing on the um, on the positive change it can drive if we activate it properly. Um, And and that's where I was really coming from there, because actually, if the diversification plan works within by 2030, we'll be less reliant on one dominant industry. And then it's more complex, not less complex to drive societal change. So I I think we need to make haywire the sun shines on that. It relates a little bit actually to a point that you made, um, uh, (laughs) similarly it sounds like a love fest now, but you completely changed my thinking about our airport. As a public servant working in an organisation that has a majority shareholding in the local airport, trying to thread the needle between the um, financial benefit of that to our community And yet the aviation emissions challenges that brings to us as a community and that dissonance in our value set um, has always been a nightmare and i've for years thought god it'd be great if we didn't have an airport to deal with when you came into this project though you reframed that as a community-owned airport and it was just a moment for me i was like of course you know if we we are in control of this airport we can shape it. it it is a feature of the existing landscape but with the right people at the helm there change can happen in that space as well. And, and that was a bit of a game changer moment for me because I thought, right, again, let's take that big, scary, hairy, negative thing that we possibly have in our district and need to deal with, and actually try and use that as a force for driving really positive change.
3: And you've got two of them, and NASA's testing at one of them already.
1: Yes, yeah. So um, yeah, Wanaka Airport is not um, as active as Queenstown Airport, but yeah, NASA runs some testing there.
3: Um, and I mean, it's, it's one of the ingredients. I keep talking mm-hmm. about ingredients. There's another one, right? This is a big soup we're making and yeah. there's all the ingredients <laughs> here.
1: Can it be uh, a cake?
3: It can be a cake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's going to be a big cake.
1: Okay.
3: Um, the other one is Air New Zealand, right? It's fortuitous and maybe related to cultural values in this country that your national airline is also pushing really hard on decarbonisation. Like yeah. I'm seeing announcement after announcement of what they're working on and it's very forward thinking and progressive And we all looked at each other when we took Carbon Zero 2030 to your mayor and we're like, this is scary. Is this even (laughs) possible? And the elephant in the room is aviation. Right? Mm. Last year is going to be the year that goes down as, you know, 2022 was the year that aviation really came under scrutiny. Mm. For whatever reason, people started looking at planes and and realising, oh.
1: Well, COVID, it showed us for two years what the actual impact of those emissions was. Yeah. It's huge.
3: Yeah. And here, like in many places, we're just sort of poking on that a little bit and realizing, oh, it's bigger than we, we thought mm-hmm. and and the big problem we have to grapple with. And it's you know, Steve and I, as we go through this process, keep looking at each other and how in twenty twenty three is it possible that we can't get a grasp. We we have no idea what the level of emissions are from you know, transportation, even broader than aviation. Mm. And I think that that will inevitably change. Can you tell me how you think tourism can be a force for good?
1: Oh, that's a dissertation question in itself. That's huge. Um, I think it can be a force for good across all aspects of community wellbeing here because it's so entrenched in the culture and in the economy. um, It has the opportunity to, if it listens to the community and actually starts to take some of the community values here and utilise that in the way that it brings people to the district and helps people experience the district, um, I think that builds a a fantastic connection between visitors and residents. Um, And you ask most residents here, yeah, there'll be pain points around visitation, but most people like the buzz of new people being here they like the energy they bring being around people that are on holiday getting to see this place again through a new set of eyes and enthusiasms and excitement you know most people like the vibe that tourism brings and the diversity it brings into our community so if we can repair some of that social license piece and change the way that we bring visitors into the district and i think that's a huge force for good um, i think on a cultural level um, one area our district is, is really behind in New Zealand, is around um, biculturality and the visibility of Tiamari um, here in the district, uh, the visibility of Kaitahu and their values and their stories. Um, you know, this could provide a fantastic opportunity for Kaitahu to be able to share what they want to share on their terms to visitors that are interested, in, engaged, and connected with them. Um, so on the cultural side of things, there's, there's huge potential there. Um, Economically, if we could get our businesses to a place where they improve their profit margins, become more productive, drive deeper prosperity through their staff base and offer people security in their roles without increasing visitation numbers, we're going to have a whole series of really efficient um, businesses out there who have a loyal staff base, will have people that can afford to make their rent and to make ends meet without having to have three jobs. Um, I think that will have a huge um, flow-on effect to the experiences of families and people in the district. Um, and environmentally, I mean, wow, where, where do we begin with that? Yeah, you know, the sky's the limit, frankly, from, a, from the perspective of reducing emissions, protecting our environments from increased footfall and uh, Extraction, effectively, uh, all the way through to improving the biodiversity, improving the planting, engaging our conservation groups. Um, I I see tourism here today, between now and 2030, as a massive connector. Um, It's a a force that everyone has an opinion on. You don't live here and don't have a really clear view on tourism and what it means. Um, That can be really unifying if we do it really, really well.
3: Can you give me a list of all of the things that you can think of that are going on bottom up around clean innovation, conservation social not for profits in the district? Just rattle off all oh the my God you can think
1: of. oh there's heaps of them. Uh... There's the Three Lakes Cultural Trust working in that arts and heritage space, there's the Lakes District Museum in the heritage space, we've got um, WOW over in Wanaka doing incredible work working around the district to raise um, sustainability initiatives and understanding and education. We've got Why Wanaka looking at catchment plans, we've got the Southern Lakes Sanctuary taking a landscape scale district wide view, linking all of our pest trapping and biodiversity groups together. The Wakatipu Reforestation Trust. Uh, the the and Dark Trust, who are looking at bringing back the birdsong, we've got uh, Dark Skies Sanctuary Groups setting up at the head of the lake to protect our nighttime heritage and uh, skies, we've got Manatehuna, we've got um, Nga Manahoe looking at the cultural side of um Māori and bringing that back into the district, um, oh, it goes on and on and on, Like it's, it's such, when I say this is a hyper-engaged community, a hyper-engaged, not only with the civic side of things, but also with the community groups. and. People are committed to doing things that matter to them and making this place better all the time. It never ceases to amaze me.
3: One of the things that I think has happened here, either explicitly or implicitly, either through this process or organically, is we've started to crack and tap on power structures. Yeah. yeah. Do you see it and feel
2: it?
1: Yeah. I think um, being so tourism-dominated, it means that our power structures here... Um, are largely built around tourism, tourism success, tourism expertise. Understanding of how the system works here is the key to make, being successful here and the key to ultimately being powerful. Um, and I think we now have a group of people that are sitting at the top of some of those power structures that really understand the, a, the importance of shifting to a regenerative approach. Um, but also the business advantage to that as well. You know, um, that is part of the, the story here. You know, we, we, we still need our businesses to be successful and profitable and driving well throughout the, the, the community. And they can do that in a really positive way. And I think they, they see that there is the market advantage to that now as well. So bringing those two things together is really compelling.
3: One of the things that Charlie from Bike Lendo said to me when we first socialized the plan last year Uh, was there's no green if businesses are in the red. And I think that that's a really nice way of concisely summarising that, you know, yield and uh, wealth is an enabler of things. Monique and I had an amazing conversation and we spent a long time going through an analogy of a jet boat that we're all on, where one person's driving and there's some people up the front who are having an absolute blast. <laughs> and then there's a bunch of people in the middle in various seats. And down the back, there's people really frightened. And she used that analogy yesterday. And we we sort of took the analogy everywhere mm. with us, thinking we need to build a mast and we need to patch the jet boat and we yeah. need to turn it into a sailboat. And then we need to all work together to sail it and maybe roll a little bit. And it's going to get bumpy, um, but there's, it could be really fun. Mm. And she also used that yesterday at council. What do you think of the analogy and can you see yourself somewhere in the boat?
1: Oh, I love the analogy, completely love the analogy. Um, I, I, you know, I get on really well with Monique and um, I often take the mickey out of her slightly because she tells stories in these analogies all the time and she has a whole ra- range of them and they're brilliant um, and I, 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 I would have been disappointed had she not had a great one for this but God, she knocked it out of the park. Like that concept of having to rebuild the boat while you're driving it is so perfect for this situation that we're in. You know, we cannot blow up our dominant industry. The well being of our people will suffer hugely. And in fact, the national context, you know, New Zealand's reputation would suffer hugely. We have to build it while we're moving. I don't want to use the analogy of rebuilding the plane while we're flying it, that's not appropriate. Um, so, you know, if we can go from a, a diesel powered jet boat to a sailboat via an electric boat in the middle. I mean, God, it's just, a, it's absolutely perfect. Um, I think I'm in the boat. Um, well, I'm pretty sure I'm in the boat. I'm, hope, I'm in, hoping I'm invited to stay in the boat. Um, I'm probably sitting in the middle, trying to balance the, um, you know, what I know from our community, providing that um, governmental voice and pathway into it, which is not always the fun seat in the boat. You know, sometimes you're having to remind people to put their life jackets on and to um, make sure they've paid their permit fees and all that kind of stuff, Um, but yeah I hope I've earned a seat in the boat to help them take us to the other side of the shore.
3: I think that constituents can often forget that the people where their frustrations are directed are humans and uh, (laughs) are trying their very best. The environmental space, once you start seeing inside the matrix, can get pretty heavy. And when you realise how quick things are changing and you see what happened in Auckland while we were here, uh, and the community reeling from that, the airport getting shut and the ripple on effects of that, what brings you joy?
1: Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, living in the here and now, getting, um, feeling like you're doing good and useful work that's going to help people, got a bit of purpose behind it. I've, I I used to be in the private sector in a job that was definitely not full purpose work. I didn't expect to find full purpose work in a shift to local government here, but I did. That brings me a lot of joy working with phenomenal people in some of these really dark spaces. All of the areas I work in are extremely complex. The Strategic Growth Team are trying to fix our massive housing challenge right now, and that is going to be something else again. So I I think you have to really celebrate the small wins, really celebrate the milestones. You know, we're only just starting on the really hard work, but it's really important to celebrate that we've got the plan in place. Um, And then I go home and I enjoy being with my pugs and doing some art and doing some sewing. And hanging out with my friends and just being connected and being here being in the moment it's essential
3: yeah it's such a it's such a good realization right that a lot of the things that make us happy are actually slow and simple and yeah. relatively low impact completely i think a lot of people uh thought i was crazy bringing together the workshop that we brought together this week <laughs> um and i, I hope it went well from your perspective but one of the exercises we asked you guys to do to try and pull out everyone's version of what this could be was to write a headline sometime between now and 2030 or afterwards mm. what was yours
1: queen sound lakes saves the joy of travel for the world why does that matter because it I, I love traveling like my entire use is, but the reason i'm here has been based on moving and living around the world and meeting new people and falling in love and coming to the other side of the planet um, it's so enriching it's so important it, it underpins um, our ability to relate to one another as human beings and to understand one another and to take take the world forward it sounds really lofty and huge but you know without travel you, your world is really small and your thinking can be really narrow and i would love to find a way for us to be able to continue to travel and mix and mingle and learn um, without worrying about the carbon emissions, without worrying that it's destroying the world, um, and for it to continue to be a really positive and enriching thing.
2: This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. My co-host is Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. We would like to thank Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Queenstown Lakes District Council for their participation, their willingness to be bold, and for their trust in Destination Think throughout this project. You can help more people find this show by subscribing to future episodes and by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Momentum has been building for years in Queenstown Lakes and next time we'll hear from Monique Kelly, local business owner and co-founder of the WOW organization. She's a leader in the sustainability movement and she clarifies why everyone's feeling so motivated and how new climate-friendly systems are emerging.
1: I think this um, uh, 2030 goal in tourism is a really prime example of the community pushing an industry into going further, going faster.
2: See you then.